And now another episode of Mind Escape with Michael and Maurice. Take it away, Michael. All right, folks, welcome back to Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape. We have episode number 81 today. Where did the road go with Soraya Azkath? Uh, Soraya hosts a uh, podcast. He also has a weekly radio show on WVBR in Ithaca, New York, Saturday from 11 p.m. to midnight uh, Eastern Time. And uh, his show consists of uh, Paranormal, The Occult, uh, UFOs, pretty, you know, ancient civilizations, kind of all the juicy stuff that we like to talk about on here as well. Uh, what's going on, Soraya? Thanks for coming on. Oh, absolutely. Love to be here. Um, the, uh, actually the show runs from 10 to 1130. Now you probably grabbed something. I didn't update somewhere. I, I grabbed your profile from uh, YouTube. So ah, that would be it. Yeah. <laughs> all good. All good. But thanks for clarifying <laughs> that. Um, so I wanted to have you on cause actually when I first, I don't know, it was probably three or four years ago, I had a reawakening with all this kind of stuff for a long time. I forgot about it and was just living my day to day life. Um, and, um, started listening to Joe Rogan a little bit. He had a lot of these ancient civilization, you know, like John Anthony West and Graham Hancock and that kind mm -hmm. of tapped, tapped me back into it all. And then I was looking for more of their stuff and I went on and you hit a lot of John Anthony West and Laird Scranton and, you know, all these great guys on there, these authors and researchers and stuff. So I started really getting into your show and I thought you had a great radio voice, you know, you have a great voice oh. for this kind of stuff and you're also... Um, an open-minded skeptic, which I like too. I like trying to get down to the bottom of things without just fully believing in something, you know, like you want to yeah. think about things from like an objective way. And I like the way you, uh, approach that. So how did you get into all this stuff? Like where, how long have you been doing it? When did you start? Why did you start? As, as far as the radio show goes? Yeah. The, uh, I started, uh, January 26, 2013 was the first show. Um, ironic, ironically, I hated talk radio. Uh, I grew up with my dad listening to Rush Limbaugh <laughs> and, and it drove me nuts. And I wanted, you know, like talk radio was just because of that. I was just like, oh, I hate talk radio. I don't know. Uh. And I got really got into Graham Hancock stuff. Uh, I found him kind of randomly because uh, the special they had on Discover, either Discover or History Channel, whatever they ran, the three part uh, right. thing that he did. And I used to leave my TV on channels like that while I was doing stuff. I'd be listening to music, but I always had closed captioning on. And so I'm looking at it going, oh, cool, pyramids. And then it's talking about the pyramids being aligned to Orion. And I'm going, wait, what? What is this? <laughs> you know, like, hang on. What am I? What's what's on the TV right now? And so I, I, the first book I read from Graham was Heaven's Mirror. And then I started really delving into his stuff. And I, and I was following him online. And he said, oh, I'm going to be on Coast to Coast. And I knew what Coast to Coast was, but I had never listened to it. Right. And I was like, well, you know what? I don't like talk radio, but I want to hear Graham Hancock. And I'm like, I'll probably listen to a few minutes of it and then get tired of it. And instead, I listened to the whole show. And was just like, that was awesome. Okay. <laughs> and then he posted like a torrent or something with all his coast to coast appearances. And I'm like, yeah, I want that. <laughs> you know, so I downloaded that and started listening through them and then started going, there's gotta be other shows out there like this. Right. And eventually, you know, I, I, I was listening to a host of different podcasts and stuff. And I was like, this is, you know, clearly I was wrong. I like talk radio. Um, it just has to be the right talk radio. Right. And then, um, I would hear people interviewing people I wanted to talk about, and they clearly knew nothing about the person. 
There was one in particular that put me over the edge, and uh, they had Jesse Ventura on. And I'm a big wrestling fan, and he's you know doing his thing, and and the interviewer knew nothing about Jesse and didn't even seem interested. I'm like, okay, why does this person get to talk to Jesse and I don't? Right. Yeah. So I was like, could I? And That's I wasn't thinking po podcast at the time. I was thinking radio show because I've been on the radio for 25 years. Well, now at the time, 19 or whatever. And so I asked my radio station, I'm like, can I do an hour long talk show? And they went, yeah, sure. <laughs> Sweet. That, that's, that's, that's actually funny you say that. That's exactly how I felt. And the reason why, partly the reason why we started this podcast, I mentioned before we were off air, the other reason why, but one of the reasons was I was reading a lot of books mm -hmm. and I, from reading the books, I, I have people that watch the show know I have OCD. So I'm very meticulous about detail and knowledge. And I, rem I have a very good memory. So when I listen to people interview people and they don't ask the most obvious questions or mm -hmm. almost like they skimmed over the book, if that makes yeah. sense. Um, Which they probably was, do a lot of the time. It was just driving me wild. I'm like, there's all that you could ask this guy like anything, and he spent all this time doing this research, and that's what you're asking him. Like it just so I, I identify with what you're saying with uh -huh. that. I feel the exact same way, and even to this day, um, you know, we the way that we have our show structured is I do a lot of the research, read a lot of the books and stuff, and Maurice is kind of like a little bit more skeptical, but he also I, I if. And I don't want to speak for him, but I feel like since we started the podcast, I've weeded out a lot of stuff that I believed and whittled it down. And I believe sure. that he's come the opposite way where things he didn't believe in, he might believe that there's something to it now. So, I mean, what do you think, Maurice? Yeah, no, I agree with that. I uh, I mean, I've had some uh, some significant events since this has happened. That we started this, so it pushed me towards, you know, the more of the metaphysical in that regard. So, yeah, I agree with you. Hmm. So, but uh, in when you got into this and, and you got into the ancient civilization stuff, um, it seemed like that was early, so a lot of your earlier episodes are, are a lot of ancient civilization type yeah, stuff. Yeah. Um, did you want to evolve from there? Did you get sick of it, or was it just something that you still pay attention to? But it's not. I think I was reading more of that stuff at the time, so I had read all, you know a bunch of Laird Scranton stuff. I always I always try to read my guests' books, mm -hmm. and I've learned from both guests and and other sources that a lot of not so it's not so much the podcast, but like say coast to coast, coast to coast, they don't tend to read the books like uh, George Knapwell, right. uh, George Norrie. I mean, whatever <laughs> you want, whatever you think of George Norrie, the fact that he's on you know five or six days a week, whatever it is, makes it hard to to read the book even if oh, you want to so they always just send over questions and i think that's where you get the the skimming thing because you know they're sent a list of questions and they may not even have ever picked up the book and i know some podcasts don't read the book um but i always try to read the book so when i started it was got people whose books i had read recently um for the most part anyway and I just slowly started making more and more contacts where I could get other people on. So I did want I did want to cover a lot of different stuff. But yeah, the the first six months is very ancient civilization, lost history type stuff. Um, except for I think David Weatherly, I think was the second mm -hmm. interview I did, and that blew up. That I was lucky to get him so quickly, and it just like went through the roof because we were talking about the Black Eyed Kids, and that was a huge thing at the time. Yeah, I mean, I that's the thing about your show that I also like is um, you have so many different topics too. It's not just 
ancient civilizations or aliens or a cult or you know you you listen to people's stories and actually um i think you're more of a you're you're kind of how coast to coast used to be in my opinion like if i were to listen to your show sometimes i think this is kind of you know the and i don't want to say that you sound like it or anything like that but it's just uh, the feel that i get from you it's you're you're more coast to coast than anything that's kind of out there right now in my opinion um mm. maybe you know i know what's his face um jimmy church fade to black he does a lot of the same kind of stuff but just the way that you set the show up and and all that kind of stuff i just i get that vibe you know you let people tell their crazy stories you let people say their their piece and then you know you ask them questions or you're a little bit skeptical but for the most part you just let them do their thing and, and kind of let people decide you know i i i tried to i think one of the things that we're missing with a lot of this stuff was we're not asking the right questions Mm -hmm. uh we're making too many assumptions and so like especially with the paranormal stuff we try to kind of break it down and ask better questions about it um you know i think the reason so much of the paranormal stuff has stalled is because people have relied on these assumptions that may not be true that aren't really based on much um but it's also when, when i started this i my goal was i didn't think it was going to be successful i'll be totally honest i mm -hmm. thought it was going to flop because i wasn't going to do the uh the sensationalistic type of stuff and i figured no one's going to want to hear this but i figured if i could talk to uh robert shock andrew collins and graham mm -hmm. hancock i'd be happy you know That's even nice if the show trio. yeah yeah and i got shock on numerous times i've had uh andrew collins on a bunch of times uh graham has said that I talked to him when we did the John Anthony West uh, telethon thing, and he mm -hmm. said he would come on when the new book came out. And I haven't contacted him yet, but the new book's out, and I'm almost done with it. So hopefully yeah. I'll be able to get <laughs> Graham finally. He, yeah, uh, that's the holy trinity right there. Yeah, yeah he's, the, he's, a, he's, a, um, he's a tough one to get, I, I think. You know, Because like, we, yeah. we reach yeah. out to people, too. There's some people that you've had on your show that I've reached out to that – maybe because we're not big enough yet i mean we've only been doing this for like a year and a half now i think we've got like 1100 subscribers on here we've been downloaded less than a, a little bit less than a hundred thousand times so we're not like huge yet so sure. i think people are kind of hesitant to come on the show but um i i think the important thing is like you said building relationships you know like um yeah. i inner traditions is you know i have a good relationship with them they send me books yeah. i read their yep. books and i try and have their people on we just had jude curvin on she's a great guest um what, what but, a great connection which one did she write she wrote the cosmic hologram um oh. it's kind of she she kind of went back over um you know like the theory of relativity and everything and she kind of looked at entropy again and how you know um avi Loeb from uh, harvard he's a uh, physicist you know he was most recently talking about that uh that flat or cigar shaped uh asteroid that came in and out of our mm -hmm. um or, or, uh, whatever yeah, yeah yeah and uh his he has a theory too that you know the more that you know the more the universe expands the more complex systems form the more you know like if you look at our civilization it's kind of like a complex version of what's going on out there um mm -hmm. so she makes those correlations and just her ideas are just a little bit different so she didn't sure. come up with any like new math or anything like that but it was just re-looking at the data and kind of taking a different approach to it um and, and and a lot of the stuff in the book ring true for me and i was like that makes a lot of sense you know so um, I, I like inner traditions they're, they're one of the book companies that puts out an enormous amount of stuff that i like yeah yeah and they, sure. they have a wide range of topics too yeah, you know? there's, yeah. There's, there's hard science stuff there's 
metaphysical stuff. There's psychedelic stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, uh, and shout out to Inner Traditions, by the way. But, well, they've been plugged multiple times now. <laughs> um, but I think the thing that uh, I've come to the conclusion with, and I, and I don't know if you feel the same, but all of the topics that we've done, whether they're science-based, psychedelic-based, um, paranormal, alien UFO, all this stuff, in my opinion, is, is based around consciousness. And yes, we have this hard problem of, of conscious, it's called the hard problem of consciousness or the, the uh, you know, it, it's, we don't know what's going on scientifically. So um, I think you, what you, you were talking about, we're not asking the right questions. I think that's absolutely correct in the sense that we're not even looking at it from the lens that all this stuff is consciousness based. We're looking at it the lens of everything's material when everything's yeah. just atoms vibrating at a cer- certain frequency. So, I mean, um, mm-hmm. I, what are you? What's your take on that? Um, personal belief is that consciousness comes first. Um, I don't think there's necessarily enough evidence to prove that one way or the other, but I suspect that's where science will eventually end up. It might take centuries, but if we keep progressing, I think we're going to come to the conclusion that everything's conscious in some form, mm-hmm. and that consciousness shapes and creates matter. So it's not that we were the side effect of matter, but matter is there for us to work with. Right. Um, so yeah, the, the thing with like a lot of paranormal stuff, when you look at the thing is people don't take into account perception. They don't take into account how we perceive reality. They don't take into account how memory works. Um, so if you encounter something you've never experienced before, your brain has to put a a face on that, or it's just going to flat out ignore it. Uh, and those, those are, are like the two options. So if the thing you've heard, if you're in the woods and you're, you're seeing stuff move around, you're going to think Bigfoot because <laughs> you're in the woods. But when you look at the actual data, you know, we, we, we termed it the, the wilderness poltergeist because it's very much like a poltergeist encounter. You know, people have rocks thrown at, thrown at them. They hear vocalizations. Things are moving. Right. And it's like, why are you assuming this is an ape? I mean, yeah, it, the, the characteristics could be connected to an ape but they never see an ape right they just have these these experiences so it it makes me want to stand back and look at all this stuff for what we're actually experiencing how our perceptions work and you know reality is something we don't we don't understand we don't know what reality is we don't know what life is we don't know what death is we have theories we have guesses we have beliefs but we don't know what any of this is. So the best we can do is kind of like modify our beliefs inside this, this system mm-hmm. and try and understand the best we can. Cause we can't get outside of it to get a better view. No, I That's a phenomenal breakdown right there. I <laughs> yeah. That. I mean, I, that, that resonates kind of exactly with how I feel about it. Um, what do you think about in terms of, um, Okay, so I mentioned that I've whittled down my beliefs based mm-hmm. on doing this and reading and research. Um, when I started out, I, I believed in a lot more. Um, and since I've whittled it down, there's a few things, a few topics that I think need more research, more looking into. Um, one of those being near-death experiences. Um, mm-hmm. My mom actually had one where she passed away for three minutes, so I, it kind of hits close to home. And um, we've had a you know Eben Alexander and Dr. Penny Sartorian and lots all of these. credentials. Yeah, yeah. Um, but and then the other thing is the psychedelic run 
realm, specifically the DMT realm. I think that there's something there. Um, oh, definitely. Dr. Andrew Gallimoran, who wrote the book Alien Information Theory, I highly recommend it if you haven't read it, kind of talks about what we're talking about, how um, he's trying to develop experiments to go into that realm for a longer period of time to collect data. So um, that's another thing. Uh, and, um, you know, the, the great question, what, what um, you know, is there life life out there besides us and my conclusion on that is is there something out there probability wise yes i don't know if it's microscopic organisms if it's you know a lizard you know what what, it could be something that we can't even imagine you know right Um, right i believe something like that i want to believe that there's real ufos coming here and all the recent buzz stuff but it's tough for me i keep going back and forth with it because there's just so much we don't know um, but my conclusion on all that, and I don't know what you think about this, is that the government and all these people studying all this stuff are kind of all in the same boat as the rest of us. They still don't really know. They might have ideas or more data to speculate off of, but I don't think those people really understand what's going on either. They might put the error out that they do or this agenda or that agenda, but I think we're kind of all in the same boat, in my opinion. Well, I, I think the to the stars thing is basic disinformation. It follows patterns of previous disinformation stuff. Um, what the? Well, and, and I, I don't think the government like Bill knows. Cooper. You mean like that kind of? Uh, or um, oh, what's his name? That they they completely ruined his life uh, with Dulcie. Um, names escaping me at the moment. But every once in a while, they release bits of information through people. Uh, This looks like it's a a different iteration of the same type of disinformation, throw a little bit of truth in and a lot of other stuff in. Um, And I think a lot of the video and stuff they're releasing is more than likely government projects. I think they're drones, they're things we're working on, and they want to see what people make of it. You know, can can they steer away from uh, the, hey, this is technology to, oh, this is an unknown. Because, well, the only thing I'll say about that is this. I mean, I agree with you. I think, well, I'll say this. I think Tom DeLong. Yeah, I think on- that's true, too. What I think he's saying? honest. I think he's an honest yes. guy. He's looking for the too. truth. And I think he's just into the subject. And I think he was throwing a couple breadcrumbs. And now he's trying to follow those breadcrumbs. And maybe he has access to more stuff than more people. I think everybody in that organization is, is for the most part, honest. I, I can't. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But what they're doing or what the the information that maybe they're being fed might, you know, maybe they're being taken for a little bit of a ride too. I don't know. I will have to wait and see how this unfolds, but, um, just this idea that, um, they know so much more and they're just like slowly releasing the information. I don't like that. Like just say what you know, and then let's move on with it and go from there. You know, I don't like the slow trickle shit, you know? Um, Paul, Paul, Paul Benowitz is who I was trying to think of. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, even Bob Lazar, I mean, they're pulling Bob Lazar up now. And I feel like my, my, I like my, that. See, I want, I, I, there's some, that, I don't know. For some reason, watching him talk, he's either a sociopath or he's um, telling the truth. Or he's telling the truth. Yeah. And if he's telling the truth, what does, do we have anti gravity? If we have anti gravity, I believe what you're saying, where, it could be our government or maybe yeah. one thing we found one thing and we didn't know what it was and we figured it out. I don't know, you know, but, um, I or don't know. You know so so like, do you, be, you don't, do you actually, be, do you believe or not believe that something's come here from a different planet? Cause I, I guess that's kind of what it come what it boils down to for everybody is like, do you believe it's possible that another civilization sent a drone 
or some sort of, you know, UFO. I think it's possible. I don't think it's what makes up the UFO phenomena. Okay. Um, so do you think then that we have like anti-gravity technology? Because the physics, they've, they've analyzed the physics on like real, um, you know, they had real uh, effects. People look at it and different things and, and people in the military. And uh, I know the videos have been analyzed. So it's like those, some the gimbal video, I think everybody points to the Tic Tac video. I don't think the Tic Tac, I think it's the worst one out of the three videos yeah, that were released. Yeah. I think the gimbal one is the best because it shows actually and it aligns with what bob lazar was saying about the technology that he saw the way it flew sideways instead of like mm-hmm. your classic you know hover disc kind of motion so um i don't know that's just my thought and i i just i do you think though that we have that you're saying that that's us so do you think that we have this anti-gravity technology or do you I think, think it's, it's- I think it's entirely possible, and I almost wonder uh, if they've picked up on the the electric universe ideas. Like the way mm. the stuff Bob Lazar was talking about, kind of feels like that to me. It, it feels like someone developed the electric universe ideas and was able to create sort of an anti gravity using electricity, mm. uh, channeling it correctly. And they that would make a lot of sense to, as to why that theory often gets marginalized because they don't want other people coming up with the same stuff. You know, so if they have a, a, if they're ahead of us on this and they're usually at least 20 years ahead of us, imagine where we'll be in 20 years and imagine what they have, you know, 20, you know, 20 years ahead of us now. Yeah. So having anti-gravity is not that much of a stretch. I don't think if you know, even just one, it could be one little thing. Right. They know that we don't, that allows them to create anti-gravity. Um, like I, I got the same impression from Lazar that you did. Either he's completely honest or he's a complete sociopath. I suspect more than likely they brought him in for, again, I think it was a disinformation thing. Um, and part of the reason I think that is he would have had a sign, you know, uh, an NDA going into this. Uh, so him announcing this would have thrown, they would have thrown him in jail. Right. You know, people have been thrown in jail for a lot less and so why did they not throw him in jail? I mean, yeah, he says, well, you know, bad things happen to him, sure, but not the things you would expect if they were trying to keep this quiet. I think right. if they wanted to keep him quiet, they would have kept him quiet. I think they wanted him talking for whatever reason. Um, no, that makes and, sense. And he's going out there and he's saying, well, we don't have this technology. Well, that you know of. Right. You know, we, we forget that part just because he doesn't know it exists. And you, you get that with some of these pilots from the uh, videos they're releasing saying, well, we don't have this technology. Well, how would you know? You're not in the in the know for every bit of technology that exists in the U.S. government or in the dark, especially in the dark projects of the U.S. government. I'm sure that's a small handful of people who actually know this stuff exists and how it works. Wasn't well, that the argument, though? Like, um that the government really it's not the government that it's the Lockheed Martins, the skunk works, the, you know, Bell Lab, you know, all these private organizations. Cause they have the ability, like they're exempt from the freedom of information act. Right. So yeah, yeah. Um, they're the ones doing all this kind of stuff. Now, the problem I have with that is how come there's never been a whistleblower to come out that says we've had, cause if we've had this stuff, this stuff's been going on, not just the last, few years people have been seeing this from the 30s and the 40s on you know even that Um, long yeah so my question is where did this come from is it some sort of you know did the germans create it during possibly during world war ii and when we got project paperclip you know we got a lot of this Mm -hmm. um technology maybe um 
you know, and even then I think a lot of those guys escaped to Argentina and were still yeah. probably fiddling with shit, you know? So, um, I don't well, know. I, so I guess, you know, I, I just, I, I want to know how come there's never been anybody. I, I get what you're saying about the Lazar stuff and I kind of agree with that, but where's the people on the other side? There has to be somebody there's humanity is not that good at keeping secrets, you know? And I know a lot of stuff's compartmentalized, but you know, it's compartmentalized and in, all reality, they probably told them you you talk, you die. Well, I could you get know? too. You threaten <laughs> with death, that's a different uh... you, you you'll die every all your family will die, period. So keep your damn mouth shut. Right. Yep. You gotta give them a picture of your kids before you can even work there. So yeah. <laughs> well, uh, that was the thing about Lazar too. He said that he allowed them to tap his phones and monitor them and, and that kind of stuff. So obviously, even within the government's projects or secret projects that they have that kind of stuff going on you know and i know yeah. that's why he said that he initially came out was that he feared for his life it wasn't that he thought humanity should know about this stuff or anything like that it was purely to protect him you know from whatever may come or whatever could happen but you're right if they wanted to kill you they probably just kill you right and they have many ways of doing it making it look like an accident mm -hmm. it's very uh, simple Yes. No, I, yeah. So I, I go back and forth on all this stuff. Like I said, I, I hope maybe to the stars produces something decent. Yeah, we want to be entertained. We want to see some aliens. Well, I read we God's believe. Man in War and some of its regurgitation stuff, but there was some good stuff in there, you know. And they were talking about some stuff I don't really hear too many people talk about, you know, like um, they mentioned the Urantia papers in there, which I think is probably one of the best channel pieces of all time, if not the best. Um, but per uh, personally, the only channels, I mean, there's, there's some interesting channel stuff. The Seth material is the only channel stuff I really will hold up to scrutiny generally. What's that? I've never even heard of that. Uh, Jane Roberts, uh, late sixties, early seventies out of Elmira, New York. They were best sellers at the time. I okay. picked up on them very late cause I tend not to believe in channeled stuff. Sure. Uh -huh. Um, but in researching near death experiences, every once in a while, someone would reference Seth and I went, why is this channeled? entity keep coming up in otherwise like hmm. fairly straightforward you know papers on near-death experiences so i picked up one of the books I, I had picked it up for like a buck somewhere i figured it'd be worth a laugh to read at some point and sat down and started reading it was completely blown away by the amount of detail and accuracy that seth carried everything through on um because he's talking about the death experience before we had near-death experiences right you know, like before that was a thing. With before we bringing people back to life. Well, yeah, I mean, they happened here and there, but the actual, uh, our culture wasn't aware of them to the mid-70s when, uh, who put the book out? Uh, I was going to say Monroe, but it's not Monroe. Um, Moody. Okay, yeah, Public Raymond Moody, Life After Life. Right, and so that's where it first got attention, but back in 1971, here's Seth describing pretty much the same thing. Mm-hmm. And in detail and actually answering questions that I had later on, because as you go on, you find out that uh, some people have near-death experiences who haven't died. They'll be on the operating table, but they never die, but they have a near-death experience. Other people don't have near-death experiences. And I always sat there and went, well, why is that? Like, that doesn't make any sense. Right. And said, like, well, some people leave their bodies at different times, uh, just like some people come into their bodies at different times. And it's kind of like, so, huh. We just assume that the point of death is a specific point. And he's like, there's no specific point of death. And I'm reading one thing and then reading his stuff and going, that makes sense. Okay. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So absolutely. Uh, do you think that there's any correlation? Um, there's the Egyptian God sat, but it's also 
prefer, referred to as Seth too. And the yeah, Egyptian there's no correlation word. to it. No correlation. Okay. That's and that was, you, that was the other thing with the Seth material. Seth never claimed to be anyone famous or major in history. You know, he said he had numerous lives. None of them were anything anyone would know. You know, unlike say like Ramtha or something, which was like you know, the the Atlantean <laughs> warrior, Atlantean warrior prince. And it's like, of course you are. You know. Right. <laughs> Are you familiar with the Urantia papers or a little bit, a little bit. I don't Those remember. They're pretty interesting. They're, they yeah. predicted a lot of scientific things that weren't known at the time. Cause there's a whole, most people think it's some religious thing where there is religion in there. And there's like a book of Jesus and Jesus's life in between three and 33, which you don't really get much of from the Bible and other religious sources, but a large part of it's like scientific stuff and like evolution and that kind of stuff where it's kind of, um, I don't know. It was just interesting. It definitely piqued Maurice and I's interest. And the way we got into it is um, we're both huge Grateful Dead and Fish fans. And Jerry Garcia, I was looking at something and he was a big avid reader of the Arantia Papers. And then from there, it said Jimi Hendrix was a big avid reader of the Arantia Papers and Stevie Ray Vaughan and Steve Vai. And it's all these amazing guitar players throughout history that have read this thing. And actually, I'm a musician. I've not really playing in any bands right now but maurice is also a musician so maybe it's something having to do with the creative mind or um or, dr like or drugs you don't yeah. know <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, but okay. yeah go ahead so, so no, you, no, men no. you mentioned dmt and he here's the 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 way i'm looking at it at this point so in dmt you get the experience of especially with ayahuasca um gray aliens People will see grays in their experiences. Mm -hmm. right. So if we look at ancient cave paintings, you see images of what look like grays. Right. And of course, the ancient astronauts, people will be like, look, grays have been coming here forever. Here's images of them on cave walls. Right. But we also know that those cave paintings are often made by shamans in altered states, which then to me says, well, those cave paintings are not aliens. Those cave paintings are what these people are experiencing in an altered state. Absolutely. So then you look at the the abduction literature, and if you remove the hypnosis component, and the problem with hypnosis is that hypnosis is not a memory recovery tool, um, and it is being used that way. And what it does is it creates false memories. So particularly when you have people who have a certain belief system or a culture where you know someone may have an experience that looks to them like an alien abduction experience, if there's no memory there, their brain is going to create it. So now you have have all this literature of aliens abducting people and committing experiments that may be whole cloth created from false memories. Yeah, what we, the abduction experience seems to resemble and when you take that stuff out is more of a shamanic awakening. Hmm. So you may have people who are either in the right place at the right time where they're being affected by certain energy or they're just people who are supposed to have this awakening. Uh, and it's being hijacked and turned into a horrible alien abduction experience by people who often mean well, but don't understand what's really going on. No, I uh, mean, that's an interesting look at that phenomena. Uh, the thing I would say to that is actually they just released a recent study within the last couple of weeks um, where they did a test with rats where um, they forced rats into cardiac arrest and then, you know, they monitored the DM and they're. Yeah, or the their brains, and there was a huge DMT release in the right. brains, and not not just from the pineal gland either. Like it's just an endogenous chemical found in the rat's brain. Now a rat's a mammal. We're also mammals. It's been long speculated, Doctor Rick Straussman, that uh, we have 
we produce DMT in our brains. Um, it's never been proven. I think you'd have to tap into a live person. And even then it's, I think it, you'd have to know where you're, what you're looking for and where and everything we know it's produced in our liver and our lungs. Mm -hmm. Um, Dr. Rick Strassman wrote a book called DMT, the soul of prophecy yeah. where his idea of the ancient Abrahamic religions was these prophets, you know, um, the different prophets from the old Testament were actually being selected or having these uh, DMT dumps or endogenous DMT releases, not necessarily even doing it or extracting it or making it or whatever. But something was happening that, to, to set it off. Exactly. Um, whether it be extreme stress or, I mean, I, he doesn't really speculate on that kind of stuff. It seems like it's more of a, from a theological standpoint in his book, but I would yeah. say that um, my theory is if they're putting rats into cardiac arrest if there's people wandering the desert for 40 days and 40 nights not eating anything and like yeah. that kind of stuff your body's in a bad place and, and there's a good chance that you could have some sort of near-death experience like that so that would be my thought on that kind of stuff yeah i, I don't think dmt is responsible for near-death experiences no i don't uh, think so either unless it's a unless it's a mechanism to help us get to that point um the i've had i've talked to people that have that's what, I, that's what I kind of have a feeling like when you pass away, the DMT kind of helps uh, connect you to the whatever next realm may be. Yeah. yeah. What do you mean? Like priming you to, to deal with whatever's coming next or? Well, yeah. You know, yeah, kind of. Or like, you know, like, you know, you're in a dream state. They think maybe you release DMT in dreams, but maybe that's becoming more of a poo pooed idea. But I don't know. Like when you pass on, you go into this dream state and then that's kind of the bridge. Well, the, the, the thing about near-death experiences that, that fascinates me, the, the main thing is not the experience people have l further into it, but the immediate experience where they're in the room, they can tell you exactly what's going on in the room down to little details because there's no reason they should have that information. Um, right. It's just, it's impossible. And doctors who completely were skeptics have been turned around by this because they're like, okay, there's no way this person could possibly have known this happened. Right. Um, there was a heart doctor back in the 90s. This is actually what led me into the uh, Seth material where he had, he was a complete skeptic about the near-death experience. He thought it was just a trick of the mind. And so he surveyed, I don't know, 100, 200 of his patients, whatever, whether or not they died, every single heart patient, he gave the same questionnaire to. And the people, and he asked this, asked questions like, what do you think was going on during the resuscitation attempt, et cetera, et cetera, what was happening during the operation? He found the people who had near-death experiences would 100% accurately describe what was going on. Mm. The people who did not were completely off. It wasn't even close. Most of it was based on like what they saw on television, which does not resemble what mm. was really happening. Right. So he sat there and he looked at this. He's like, I can't deny that these people are actually seeing this stuff from a different perspective that we don't understand that does not fit into the materialistic paradigm of Western science. Um, but the, the case that really fascinates me, and I got her name here, uh, Anita Morjani, I think it is. Okay. And, uh, she was an Indian woman who had, a who had end stage cancer. And, uh, this was all documented. She was dying from it and she passed away with her, her relatives and stuff around and then had a near death experience and came back and was completely cured of the cancer. Wow. So she has all of the documentation prior of how bad the cancer, the cancer spread throughout her body. And now she's healthy and living in California. 
Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. I have to look into that one for sure. And it's impossible. I mean, according to medical science, that can't happen. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think what you were mentioning is actually you should get try and get Dr. Penny Sartori on your podcast. I've had said. Oh, had okay. Said, she she does the thing where you were just talking about where she does the experiments. Like she's been yeah. recently trying to, um, you know, see if people can remember what they see when they first. Like she sets up targets and mm-hmm. sees if people can. Um, remember the targets when they come back out of it, which is kind of a cool idea. You know, like that's the kind of research that I think we should be looking at. I, I think the problem with the targets is that people people focus on the thing that emotionally matters to them. Mm. Yeah. So a target doesn't emotionally matter to them. They're they're looking at their own body and going, "What's happening? Right. Is that me? You know, what's what's good?" And they're not thinking, "Hey, is there a thing up above me that I can read?" Yeah, because I think right. she was having they were having trouble with people actually finding those targets. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a great idea because if someone does get it, then right, right, then you have exactly. Yeah, but I think I think it's a hard call because emotion is what draws a lot of stuff in, like um, experience, like precognition. Precognition often is a very emotional experiences. Mm -hmm. You know, emotion definitely plays a part of this. Yeah, my thought was, you know, those targets are still kind of in the material, too. So it's like you're separated from this material. So so those targets probably don't mean anything. I don't know. I think, uh, uh, what do you think about people seeing? Because I know my mom, when she passed for like three minutes, she saw my sister who had passed away earlier in her life and her father. um, And they were, she was told it was not her time. She has to go back. And she also... Um, when she came out of it, the doctor's like, who did you see? So like the doctor who revived her knew that she had had some sort of experience, even before she said anything. So obviously this is a known phenomena, even with people that maybe don't research it from the, the medical standpoint, they know that there's this thing happening. Yeah. Yeah. And I, one of the things that, that Seth had mentioned in the Seth material was, uh, when you die, you tend to see what you expect to see. Mm. And that it's kind of an illusion that they they have to kind of wean you off of eventually, gotcha. uh, but that sometimes loved ones are involved. Mm. And I think that, yeah, I, th- I think that's part of what you're you're seeing there. You're going into an experience, and if even if you say you're an atheist, but deep down you believe you're you know in Christianity, right. you yeah. may encounter Jesus, right? But you also may encounter loved ones if you know if you really don't have you know you can say you're a Christian but not really deep down believe it. And maybe you'll encountered loved ones instead. And maybe they're legitimately your loved ones. Um, there have been cases where someone encountered someone who, you know, a relative who died, but they didn't know they were dead. Wow. So they've been there and they're like, Oh, I saw, you know, aunt Betty. And they're like, well, that's ridiculous. Aunt Betty's in California. And right. then they find out aunt Betty passed away two days ago. Now that's a movie idea. Right. Yeah, that's there. actually, that's in Dr. Eben Alexander's book, proof of heaven, where he's a, he was adopted. Um, and, um, he had his near death experience where he had meningitis and whatever. He was a Harvard trained neurosurgeon and scientist and everything. And he was an atheist before. So he goes in, has this week long lucid experience where it's all showing everything's showing he's brain dead. There's no way he could be having these experiences. He has the experiences when he comes out of it, he goes to, you know, he goes and eventually meets his real mother and father and goes to their house and, he sees this picture of this, you know, he explains when he's going through the, the near death experience that he's been guided by this beautiful woman. Well, 
the beautiful woman he kept seeing was this woman that he saw in a picture at his mother and father's house. And he's like, who's that? And they're like, oh, that was your sister that passed away from them having more kids after they had given him up. So, mm. so that's kind of a interesting book. I mean, there's a lot of skepticism with all that kind of stuff. You know, is there a motive? Is there this or that? I tend, like I said, you know, with the Bob Lazar thing, I tend to believe people if they seem genuine. Yeah. You can kind of tell when somebody's lying or fudging the facts. Yeah, you got to be a real good actor to pull that off. Yeah. So, I mean, I tend to go with it, you know, and well, the mind's I, a powerful thing, you know, so. I think the problem with Eben is that uh, it got hijacked by people who had an agenda. Hmm. Like, it wasn't him, but you had a, a, a Christian uh group that kind of took that and tried to christianize what he experienced okay yeah yeah um, and that that was the thing there because it didn't match up with what he initially said right and that, that got people not believing him but he wasn't the one that had twisted it around like that yeah i mean he doesn't really talk about like angels and god and it's the book's yeah. more about like light orbs and sound frequencies and different I, things you know like that isn't there a movie is there? I don't know. I think there's a movie or a documentary or something, and that's where it got very Christianized. Oh, okay. And so a lot of people started dismissing his experience, and uh, I've never seen it. I haven't read the book, so I don't know off the top of my head. I just remember that he had gotten put into that category, mm -hmm. and people were telling me, no, 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 that's not what he experienced. It was kind of taken. You sure. Know? No, I mean, um, that, that makes sense. Doesn't that happen with everything? You know, even... Uh, not to go back to the UFO thing, but everybody thinks that UFOs are demons or are evil entities. You know, if you go into any of the Facebook forums, you know, I'm out there promoting our stuff and, you know, we'll get probably a handful of messages every couple of weeks of, you know, oh, these are demons and you shouldn't be dealing with this stuff and, you know, blah, 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 blah. So well, a lot of this stuff, it, it the vantage point you're coming from defines what you're looking at. And that, that's mm -hmm. kind of what I'm saying with like the way perception works. So if you if you're very religious, then anything that is not of a certain caliber is thus demonic, mm -hmm. and you know they don't they're not they just won't look at it any other way because that's what they've been taught. It makes sense based on what they've been taught, so it's demons, mm -hmm. you know. Um, if you don't if you haven't been brought up that way, then you look at it in a completely different light, right. Well, isn't there this weird thing that I think we all do it when we're kids? And I don't know if you have, I've talked to Maurice about this, but you're in the basement, you're playing, whatever, you're having a good time. It's time to go upstairs. You turn off the light and it gets real creepy and dark oh, yeah. and, you're like, and you run up the stairs and you're like, there's something behind me. You don't know that there's something behind you, but it's just a feeling that you have. The dragon's uh, mouth. Yeah. I don't, and I don't know, maybe that's some epigenetic thing that goes back to us being, you know, Neanderthals or Denisovans when we're literally running for our lives or what maybe. that means, yeah, you know, but. That's what I think Bigfoot is, by the way. I think Bigfoot's some sort of epigenetic memory of maybe Gigantopithecus or some sort of large primate. You know, I don't buy that's the one combination thing. Combination of a lot when of you talk, when you talk about ghosts and you talk about aliens and you talk about all this stuff, the one thing to me that I think is the least likely is the Bigfoot thing. I just I for some reason I've looked at the shows, I've seen what I think yeah, there's, are there's the a most lot of animals out there. Just relax, people. It's even it's just, Scott it's Walter. Just a bear. I, even Scott Walter on American on Earth just did one about like some Louisiana version of the Bigfoot, you know. So um, he did a good job of trying to debunk some of the reasoning behind why people thought that. But yeah, it just seems like this 
constant thing that keeps coming up that really I've never seen any. So, you know, like UFOs, there's videos, you know, like whether you believe they're a government or not, there's something there. With Bigfoot, I've never seen anything credible. I saw know? a man in an ape suit <laughs> Tur- turn to the camera real slow. See, I don't know. I, I, as far as that video goes, I think it's a legit video. All right. Well, I'm gonna have to repop that bad boy on. And you check think it the out one again. where the the guy that admitted that he was in a monkey suit or whatever? He never produced the monkey suit. That's oh, the okay. Thing. You know, like it, it. People wanted to hear that, so they believed him. But he never produced a monkey suit, and that suit gotcha. was very advanced. I mean, okay. So he's doing this with no budget, out in the wilderness. At the same time, we're filming Planet of the Apes. Mm-hmm. Which one looks more real? Oh, the one out in the wilderness with no budget. Right. Yeah, that's true, right man. There. Right but down to muscles did... rippling and things like that. And it's a female Bigfoot, oh. which is not one of those things you would necessarily, like if you were going to make a Bigfoot, would you make a female Bigfoot? Mm. Especially back in the, the 60s. Not in a man's world. I'll tell you yeah, that. Exactly. In, this, in this day and age, it's nine. It's a nine. Ba- <laughs> it's a nine non-binary Bigfoot. Okay? I was going to say <laughs> this thing. Is, this thing's a but, black line, man. But the th- the thing is, there's so many little things there that suggest that this might have been an actual real encounter. But it also, one of the things you find through all this stuff is the element of the trickster. And that was a, that's a great example because you have a guy who was literally going out to look for Bigfoot, finds him on his first day, gets a film of it, but no one believes it. Didn't they analyze yeah. like the way that it was walking too? Because they... Yeah. Yep. Like they that- said the gate is not a human gate. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I'll have to go back and check that out. I know. Like, I got to look at this. Thing. Everything I watched uh, and and I looked at, you know, into that one, it was like, this is bunk. You know, just like that one of the Loch Ness Monster was like a children's toy that they right. yeah, made yeah. look like some massive, you know, plesiosaurus or whatever. 400 millimeter lens. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is, the Gimlin film might be fake, but if it's a fake, it's an incredibly well done fake. Well, the gimbal video was true. Uh, who is it? Um, He's always on Joe Rogan. Mick West. He went to extreme lengths to try to explain why it was some sort of visual artifact. But we just had my buddy Lee Adams on, who's actually stationed on the USS Nemitz and worked on planes and knows about the FLIR radar system. And yeah, that wasn't an artifact. And he's like, no, those are it's real, whether it's us or outside comes from another planet or maybe another government you know like my thing with the whole other government thing if it's from another government how come they haven't come after us obviously we're like the number one target we're the the world police you know well it depends on what country it is but but i'm just saying if you came up with that you would use it to your advantage you would see some sort of boost in something you know there there would be some there's just no way that you would just have that technology and not use it i don't think that that's possible especially you know, and with us, it's like I the way I think about it too is like if we have that technology, why aren't we? Why haven't we used it? Why or maybe we do use it? I don't know, but it, it. it just seems like we're so evil in perception compared to the rest of the world. Like we're always looked down upon as we're this this and this military superpower. We're always you know throwing our weight around. Well, if that's the case, how come we haven't used it? I don't know. That's a good question, but because um, we haven't needed know. to, maybe you think that. Uh, you think it could just be the fact that we everything else that we have is still so superior that it's just this yeah. last trick in the bag if need be, or and maybe this is our way of showing it off to our enemies. Look what we got, you know. Yeah. Even, our, even our own people don't know what this is. Well, that was yeah. the who's it, Mer, Mer something Jacobson. She was on Joe Rogan, 
where she she wrote she's an author um she was talking about how she had interviewed this guy before he died he was part of the manhattan project and he had q clearance and all this stuff and he was told that stalin yeah yeah, stalin dropped they dropped some ufos uh in our airspace like roswell or whatever and that the bodies that were in there were like mentally handicapped people that were surgically altered to look like gray aliens Mm -hmm. and that's what he was told and that's what she reported in her book but I mean, it's hard to believe people where it's like, check out my book. Cause she literally referenced all of her books. She's got like, oh, she was plugging that thing. She hard. was plugging on it. She sounded like a, a 900 sex operator too. Like her voice, she had that kind of a voice, but um, it's just, I have a hard time believing people when they're constantly like plugging their own shit. You know, it's just like, you obviously have an agenda. So. Oh know. yeah. Yeah. Um, I think Nick Redfern came up with some interesting stuff about Roswell. Um, being a, a test craft, I think it was a test craft. I can't remember now. I know uh, uh, Dietrich. Uh, oh, what's his first name? Uh, I've had him on a couple of times. He tends to be. He he was a supposedly he was a uh, archiver in some base in San Francisco or something, and they had him destroy all these documents. And he has an eidetic memory, so. As he was destroying these documents, he claimed to have just read through them all. And they talk about all this kind of stuff. And it's it's one of those things where if you listen to him and you check some of the major points he's talking about, he's dead on. You can check, you know, you can find them online. You can say, yep, that's accurate. That's accurate. Whether or not he's connecting the dots right is a completely different question. Right. Uh, but he says that that was a Japanese, that that Roswell was a Japanese craft that we captured and were testing using small Japanese people Mm. and they tried to get away and the craft exploded. Mm. That's crazy. So that's weird though, that somebody that was part of, you know, like in that lady's book, this guy, Q clearance, part of the Manhattan project. I mean, that's some serious shit and that he was told or was inferred to or whatever, something like a, a different version of that same story. So that to me, it's like, by the way, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure you have you seen unacknowledged. There's a part where Richard Doty is talking about that exact same thing about how our government. So it's like that guy lies. So I don't know what to believe because yeah. he mentions that exact same thing that we altered people to look like that and and put them in these these you know vehicles or whatever. So if he's saying that, and then there's two different versions of that story, it leads me to think well, is there something to this and everybody's just gotten different versions of it? Or is it this baseline story that sounds good that will get people off the trail? I don't, you know, I don't know, but yeah, it's, it's hard to tell. And a lot of, it's so hard. It's so, there's so much shit out there. It's so hard. So a lot of the people who were involved in this, uh, in the, 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 to the stars were also, uh, part of the aviary which was a disinformation group that um, Greg Bishop talks about and uh, had, you know, a connection with information from, uh, and they were literally a disinformation group. Who was it? Who uh, out of two of the stars was in, in that group? Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head. I'm not, I, I, I don't there's, know. The main about. ones are obviously Tom DeLong, Luis Elizondo, Luis Elizondo was in the CIA. Maybe it could have been him. Yeah. Um, there's um, uh, you, you, Hal put off, kick green i don't know there's yeah i don't i don't remember but i know at least a couple of them were in the aviary um 
it, it would oh. be something you'd have to, you'd have to have uh, what you call it on to talk about it because he's he's the one that wrote the book and everything on it and um, you know, Greg Bishop he's he's okay. fantastic with that stuff if you if you want to get into that he's the one you want to have on yeah it's just this, this it's like a riddle you know it's like who's telling the truth and like I, I like I said I tend to believe that we just don't know like there could be something metaphysical going on that we just don't understand you know and that we're pretending to understand or maybe creating these other storylines but um so that's my thought on it but I I'm, I'm open to the idea that it's just us and that there's some grand reason behind that but it, then I think about like so Chris Mellon who's part of the Mellon family um why would he, you know, he's part of the Department of Defense, like, why would he attach himself to this if it ends up coming out that these people are liars? There's certain people's reputations from, like, these some of these old families that have money that I don't think that would associate with that kind of stuff. So maybe I'm wrong, you know, but... The thing is, people have short memories. Yeah. Because a lot of these people have played this game again and again, and people continue to believe them. Right. You know, I mean, especially nowadays, our culture has such a short memory uh, you know, if it didn't happen yesterday, we've forgotten all about it. Oh, yeah. It's been on CNN and Fox News and people. Th the weird thing I'll say this about what you're saying is more than ever right now, I have random people talking to me about like my dad's like, what about this UFO stuff? I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, I watched all these documentaries. He's never <laughs> been. He's never been into that kind of shit. He's a very he went down the rabbit hole. man. He's a very businessman. My, you know, he's day to day consciousness. He's not really concerned, but he, now he's, you know, and there's a lot of people that I know like work and different people that I've talked to about this kind of stuff that are, are taking interest with it. So it's like, you have this whole group of people right now that are, that are just, normal people that don't aren't into the paranormal aren't into ufos that are taking notice with this kind of a thing so um whether it's false or correct or maybe there's some truth or whatever i feel like there's a lot of people like waking up to this idea um of it which is interesting because i don't think that it's been that in the past right it, people poo-pooed it or you were crazy to believe it or you know time periods it comes and goes right uh, the subject gets really popular, but now it's probably the, the first time we've seen it in like mainstream news and stuff being taken at least remotely seriously. Mm -hmm. But I also don't think it had the effect that everyone expected it to have. When the New York Times article came out, a lot of people I agree. notice. It's just kind of like, oh, UFOs are real? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that is what it was like. This isn't paradigm shifting at all. And I think a lot of people know something was going on and to have it acknowledged, they were just kind of like, yeah, all right. You know? Right. Well, I mean, it's, uh, there's so many different fat. Look, there's some bunk people out there too. Like the whole David Wilcox and that kind of stuff. Like I'm not, I'm not oh, going to lie. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to be honest. I, I, I do watch ancient aliens cause I find it entertaining and I like watching oh, Graham, Han Graham Hancock and all the megalithic structure stuff yep. like that's my favorite shit you know like there's some so truth I watch sprinkled it. in there for sure yeah there is there is but then there's a lot of bullshit and when they start saying things like did it did aliens build the pyramids no they didn't we don't know exactly how they were built but humans built them you know right. like right. there's so, no evidence that aliens were involved and why would they, <laughs> if you could fly here from a different galaxy or solar system you're gonna use your it, it's it's an amazing feat but it still looks shitty it's not like sharp complete perfect but, angles or you know but it is the only thing that has lasted as long yeah. as it has lasted like, correct everything else they look pretty cool man <laughs> what's and that show that, that used to be on um history channel not history channel discovery channel it was like they show you a, a, a timeline of like when the earth 
uh, if humans were just to do disappear off the earth oh, tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, world without humans or uh, yeah and it'll how many years it takes for skyscrapers to break down yeah, how many years yeah. a car t car takes like a hundred years to break down or something or yeah. rust out or something you know so it's like they said if we were all to die tomorrow the only things that would be left standing you know still the great pyramids and then also mount rushmore was it Rushmore? i thought it was the the hoover dam um no because the, well, the hoover dam will last a decent amount of time but the thing about uh, about the Hoover Dam is nobody's maintaining it because there's a lot of maintenance that goes involved yeah, there, or that's yeah, involved okay. with it. The the longer it goes, the the more possible that like cracks build up and then it starts mm -hmm. to break through. But the one I heard was um, the Mount Rushmore. Hmm. But yeah, the pyramids would still be there, and that's pyramids, still, yeah, <laughs> it's like so they were built really well in a very specific way. Yeah. What do you think about that, though? Like, I mean, because I've gone down the rabbit hole with that, too. You know, there's um, the internal ramp theory, which is uh, Jean-Pierre Lutin, who was like an engineer who did that on the side that came up with the cool theory. Um, you've got uh, the ramp theory, which is that there's this massive ramp and they're constantly... Yeah. Which is know, the backbreaker, we like to call. <laughs> what was that? I said we like to call that one the backbreaker. But the problem with that one is... is they, you would need more stone to create the actual ramp than yeah. would take to build the actual pyramid itself. So it's, yeah. you know, that, that one kind of doesn't really make sense to me. Um, but I, I suspect that it was built with some type of lost technology, especially mm. the, the main part of it, because Graham has shown that it looks like it was two different building uh, segments on it, like right. the big blocks and then the littler blocks along the top. The little blocks aren't that big of a, of an issue, how you would move them. It's the really immense ones being hover, you know, being, brought up high, you know, into this, this place on the pyramid, like the relieving chambers. Right. Um, and, and that's heavy as granite in there too. And how did they yeah. get that in there? You know, like that's yep. Aswan's not close to Aswan where they got all that red granites. You'd have to take a boat. And then if you, t you know, I know that there's that, what's it called? The, um, there's the papyrus they found. I forget the guy's name. Uh, he was like they an ancient some of the smaller blocks up yeah right right so i don't know if they could do that with the granite though because that that was limestone sandstone i think that granite's obviously a lot heavier you know yeah and and then you, there's bigger things around the uh around the world bigger blocks than the ones that put in the, look at um ballback for instance oh yeah yeah you know how do they move those into place unless and, and the thing is i don't think you would work with blocks that big unless you had a methodology for moving them fairly easily. Mm -hmm. And we think in that brute strength sort of thing, you know, it's like, Oh, we just got to get a bigger crane and we could move it. And it's, it might be something like anti-gravity. They may have, have sound technology that they could apply, you know, apply to a block to make it lose weight. Right. And they could just move it into place and then remove the sound from it. And it drops into place. We know we can levitate things with sound, um, right. but we're just at the infancy of that type of technology. What if a different culture went that way first instead of the way we went? Yeah. I think about that. I also think about what if the conditions on earth were different? Like what if our gravity was altered from some sort of, sure, yeah. What's the, the magnetic, you know, they always talk about the magnetic shift or the magnetic flip, you know, like what if there's some sort of difference in gravity, you know, having to do with that? Um, or what if the sun, you know, you got, you were talking about Robert Schock earlier, you know, the sun's um, solar, um, 
the flares causing, you know, the, the mass coronal ejections and, and that kind of stuff, you know, there could, and that affects our magnetic field on earth. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, who knows, there's so many different things you could go with that. I don't think we'll ever know, in my opinion, I don't think we'll ever know exactly how the pyramids were built. Maybe something Unless we replicate the technology. Yeah. True. And that could be, that could be the case. We know how other things are like, um, obelisks, you know, there's still obelisks that, are still in the ground half constructed, you know, and they know they use dolomite, these like dolomite rocks to like bash them out. And there's a certain technique to uh, cut them out. It's kind of similar to how they cut the, um, the Easter Island um, Moai from right, the uh, right. volcanic rock. They used rocks to, to bash out the edges, you know, and then get it out that way. But especially with the great pyramid and stuff and some of the stuff in South America, you see evidence of machining on them. Mm-hmm. that it wasn't bashed out with rocks. It looks like, and, and I think, I don't remember whose book it was in. They were saying that the, the way the drilling was done, like they, they compared it to other drills we have now. And they said the only drill that matches up with the type of drilling they were seeing was a sonic drill. Was it like Chris Dunn? Maybe the, um, I haven't read any Chris Dunn stuff. I, I know Chris Dunn stuff, but I haven't read his books. It was yeah. in someone. I just, it, I don't remember whose book it was. Maybe it was Andrew Collins actually. Could be. Well, they f- they found a bunch of like ancient gears and stuff that they have no clue how old they are. So yeah, yeah. What's that? The Greek um, antithera. Uh, Antith- yeah, just... yeah I can't even pronounce it. But yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, a, that's a very advanced cosmic computer, right? And that didn't just pop out of nowhere. If that if that existed in that form at that point, there had to be predecessors to it. Mm-hmm. You know, right. so like this technology existed and we only found one ever. Right. So how much other stuff out there have we not found? We don't consider the fact that we're only finding like 1% of what's out there. So well, much you, of the other stuff is lost. Well, you've got the oceans covering, you know, look yep. at, you've got Sundaland, which was covered. You've got uh, Dodgerland, which, you know, Sundaland cover or connected uh, the bottom of Indonesia to the top part of Australia and you mm-hmm. had Dodgerland, which was Great Britain connected to the rest of Europe. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And you've got all these land bridges in the Bering Land uh, Bridge and all that stuff. Um, so you've got these land bridges. And I don't know how, how much excavation's gone where we know that there was once land in those areas. You know, like I don't, I, I think that those are places we need to be looking at for that kind of stuff. Yeah. And that's what Graham's been saying. I mean, we, the sea, sea water rose 300 feet since the Ice Age. Mm hmm. So how, you know, that's a lot of land underwater and that's where people were. They were along the shores. One of your videos, um, that I first got into was there was like a video. You normally don't do videos. You normally do your show. There is no video. Um, I do do videos if I'm in person with someone, but you had one, uh, you have John Anthony West and Laird Scranton in the same room. What was that like? Because, I mean, those are two two guys that are super into symbology and ancient Egypt and ancient civilizations. Uh, What was that like meeting John Anthony and and talking with him face to face? It it was awesome. It really was. He was uh, just an incredible individual. He, uh, I had had Laird on a couple of times and they were, they both lived out by Albany about four hours from me. And I said to Laird, I said, you know, I'd really like to, you know have John Anthony West on sometime. I'm like, it'd be even cooler if we could do it in person. <laughs> and Laird said, cause Laird was good friends with John. He said, I'll ask him. And then he gets back to me. He's like, so he wants to know if you want to come to his house for a barbecue. <laughs> and I was there like, you go. 
Yeah, yeah, that'll be a big yes. Yes, that. <laughs> and so we, you know, we went out there, and he cooked us food, and we hung out for a while, and then we did that interview, and then we hung out for a bit afterwards, and I got to pick his brain about things, and it was, I mean, he was just such an incredibly nice guy. He he, he had this huge room. I mean, you can see some of it in the video. Huge, actually, I think we toured around at the end of the video. Yeah, I mean, just lined with books everywhere. Right. Uh, some of his family was there. They were all awesome. It was just a fantastic experience. No, I mean, that's, I mean, that's, that's the gold obvious. standard. Well, in, yeah. you know, you look at like, we just got into this, you know, that's somebody that I would have loved to have interviewed, but it's just obviously, you know, uh, yeah. passing with time and different timelines and different stuff, but there's enough information of his out there where, um, obviously his books, and then you've got, you know, appearance on your shows, other podcasts. I think he was on Joe Rogan once. Um, he cemented his place in time. That's for sure. Yeah. And, uh, magical Egypt, obviously, which is an yes. amazing series. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, all that stuff is just super fascinating to me. See, I, I tend to, I'm tend, I tend to be more interested in the, in the ancient civilization stuff just because, um, you know, as opposed it's to there, say, you know what happens. UFOs or ghosts. Yeah, there's physical material. There's a lot of questions surrounding it. You can't just have somebody radiocarbon data rock. You know, like there's yeah. a lot that goes into to um, looking into this stuff. And I think for me, I love. We've always had, at least I have, had an affinity for ancient Egypt. I mean, we grew up with it in our house. Our grandfather was kind of a, in a visionary. Um, uh, inventor and he invented some technology stuff like some of the first door sensors that would open using microwaves as opposed wow. to now it's it's visual sensors and stuff like that um, but he um, you know he wrote down a lot of his meditation techniques which I use to this day and there's a lot of of his notes and stuff that have been preserved and he had a lot of um, you know these huge glass panes with all these hieroglyphics and cartouches that have secret meanings and all this kind of stuff that's in one of my one uncle's house. And he was just a very, um, you know, cool guy in that way. And, uh, unfortunately he passed away when we were both five years old, but, um, you know, I had this relationship with him when I was young where, um, I, I was, when I was like three, four and five, I was like super into Jacques Cousteau. Like that was my favorite dude. And he would, I would always like draw pictures of Jacques Cousteau and scuba tanks and all that stuff. And he would help me. So we had this like kind of a bond thing going on, but, um, it's just weird that that's kind of also part of the catalyst of us getting into this. I had like a spiritual awakening with my mother going through breast cancer treatment. She's fine now, but at the time it was super scary and it kind of woke me back up. Like something in me snapped where I went from just living my day-to-day -day life to, um, you know, I don't know. It was like a calling, you know, if, if you will. Um, so, and then, I started getting into the ancient Egypt stuff, the Graham Hancock stuff and all that stuff was there. So I felt like, um, I feel like I have some sort of, you know, connection to ancient Egypt in some weird way. But that being said, my favorite megalithic structure to look at is obviously Gobekli Tepe, not only just because sure. of the age, but, um, the importance of it. What, what are your thoughts on Gobekli Tepe? Like, do you have any, um, ideas or like you said, you picked John Anthony West brain does, is anybody you've talked to kind of, um, said something that's clicked with you with that or, you know, it, it's, that's a, a really mysterious structure to me because it was buried in sections. Um, you know, uh, Laird Scranton thinks it was a teaching tool and that they would bury it and start over to, to teach different 
things and that once it was done, they buried it. And uh, he's shown connections, uh, you know, with the Dogon and mm -hmm. uh, different sites around the world, which is interesting. Uh, Andrew Collins stuff is interesting on it. Um, but I definitely think it's evidence of a, of an ancient civilization with some knowledge they needed to share in some way, shape or form, whether that was meant for us now, I don't know. It may have been a way of teaching that knowledge to people who didn't have it then after a cataclysm mm -hmm. or even knowing a cataclysm was coming because they had to have, you know, if they were advanced enough, they had to know things were going bad. Whatever, whatever the cause of the end of the last ice age, there were probably signs that things were not going to be so good for a while. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I, I agree with all that. Do you think though, I mean, like you said, actually what uh, Laird's book was at uh, point of origin. That's the one on yeah. Uh, Gobekli Tepe, but um, you know when we had him on, we talked about the um, the different symbolism from the different parts of the world that can be found there. Like there is, um, I think he we pulled up a picture. There's a similar fox that's on one of the T pillars. That's also on one of the Dogon altars, I believe, um, or the dog. I for, I forget what it was, but um, and then the other one was there's a symbol where it's like two half circles with a line in between them, which can also be found in Aboriginal artwork and, and on some of their stuff. Um, and I, there's a couple other ones too, but it's just, uh, oh, the vulture, like from the vulture stone. It kind of looks like the Make Make uh, bird cult symbolism found on uh, Easter Island too. So there's a lot of like weird stuff. And I know Robert Shock's kind of the only one that's really been pushing the the Easter Island timeline way back to, you know, around the time of Gobekli Tepe. But what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that there was maybe some like meeting place or, um, you know, like general center or epicenter or something like that? Very well, could have been. Yeah. It's, it, it's such an odd place that we have zero information on. I mean, anything we say is just guesswork at this point. I mean, there's obvious connections to other places, but, I think that's because we had a, a worldwide culture at one point. Mm -hmm. um, and I think Graham does a good job in his new book of showing how this, how these, these like, you know, uh, North American cultures in Egypt have connections, but they're different enough to say they weren't sharing information. They right. come something further back and have slowly modified as time went forward, which is what you would expect to see, but they're similar enough in certain points that a, a, a master culture had to be back there somewhere, a mother culture that all of these, these groups sprang from. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there's, there's weird anomalies too. I think they found, um, we're both from Michigan. Um, but they, I think they found Michigan copper in Egypt. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. So, I it mean, was, it's a, it's a very specific pure type of copper too. It's not like yep. something that can be found, you know, just anywhere. Um, and I know there's speculation too, like the Egyptians used to trade with people. Look, I've, I've, I also read the academic stuff like the Oxford, um, book on ancient Egypt, the, um, uh, what are those called? The, uh, courses in history or whatever. I don't know the great courses or whatever. There's one with, um, uh, Bob Breer, who's an Egyptologist. Um, so I, I read the academic stuff too. And I think that there's it, it, even some of their stuff can be alluded to previous, you know, more ancient stuff, um, than, than what's taken at, you know, in, taught in schools and stuff like that nowadays. But, um, I just think that, uh, if you look at it, who knows what's going on? It could have been like the Greeks or the Minoans 
coming to America or the Vikings, you know, getting resources, going back, trading, or it could have been the Egyptians. They had boats too. They could have been sailing over, you know, um, what's that um, Thor Heyerdahl proved that you could float oh, yeah. from the, the coast of Chile to Easter Island on just a raft made out of the materials found along, you know, the beach in the forest there. So, I mean, who knows? Well, D- David Hatcher Childress liked to say, you know, the, the oceans are freeways, not obstacles. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I don't yeah. remember who he got it from, but that that's very true. I mean, all you had to do is make right. a boat, go, go right across, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. And we just assume our ancestors were dumb. Yeah, right. I, know, I know. It's crazy. Well, that's what most of the academics, not that, I don't think they think of them as dumb. It's just, what does John Anthony yeah. say? It's the church of progress. You know, it's just yeah. that we've always gotten smarter. We've always gotten better. But I think that... Um, and then maybe that's my affinity with the ancient Egyptian stuff is I feel like they understood consciousness better than we understand consciousness. Oh yeah. Almost definitely. Um, I think a lot of the ancient cultures did because they included that into the world. They didn't separate it out. Right. Mm -hmm. Science and art and religion were all one thing. And you, you have this belief now that, yeah, things always start primitive and become more and more advanced. And there's nothing that, that interrupts that so they they take catastrophe out of that i mean we had a long period prior to the end of the last last ice age that an advanced culture could have been uh thriving Mm -hmm. and we have you know maps with antarctica without ice Mm -hmm. we have various out of place artifacts that don't make any sense you know you have uh this lineage of information that seems to spread around the world that there's no direct connection between cultures for all of this points to an ancient civilization that was decently advanced, at least seafaring, if nothing else. And they don't accept that because that means an advanced culture was wiped off the face of the planet almost completely. And I think in some, in some cases that just scares people, you know, because it could happen to them. It could happen to us. And instead of saying we should be more prepared they just say, well, it didn't happen. Well, that's just it. Shouldn't that scare us into creating some sort of technology to prevent it from happening again? You know, like we're still not that close from being able to figure out if an asteroid or a comet or whatever is headed toward. I think if a comet's headed toward us, we're fucked. Honestly, there's a but- lot of factors though, because people that have put, you know produced books and stuff on on these subjects, they don't want to have to retract their shit. So well, it's like true. a bunch of it's a bunch of things all combined that everyone's just wanted to deny it uniformitarianism yeah and, and but we have evidence of massive solar flares mm-hmm. this is something we should be protecting our power grids from because one of them could wipe out everything and wipe. and if we lose our power grids we our civilization is going to collapse mm-hmm. and uh it's not a big deal to go through and protect it so this wouldn't happen but congress has no interest in doing it <laughs> you know they're not being paid by the right people clearly that you know want to preserve our power grid well, that's the Graham Hancock theory, too, that if all this shit does go down, it's the hunter-gatherers living in the Amazon. It's the, yeah, yeah. the tribal people around the world that are going to thrive because, um, you know, and that's what the premise of his book is, is that those are the people that thrived when this happened before. You know, like yeah. there could have been some crazy, advanced, you know, Atlantis or whatever. And then there was the, you know, the people living in the forest like we still have to this day. Um and those are the people that, again, it keeps resetting, and those are the people that are always there, you know. Yeah, and and you you may have had a small pocket of survivors. This this may have been what the Anunnaki were. Mm-hmm. Um, but you look at Laird Scranton stuff too, and he's talking about how these these civilizers were not from here. They weren't from you know pe- people will say well they were from Sirius, 
But what the Dogon actually say is that they they were spiritual beings, or non-material. I think yeah. Is, yeah, and that they could only communicate with uh, for so long with certain people and and things like this that they were trying to teach us. And and he has the th the interpretation that we live in a imperfect world uh, where we can affect change, but we don't have perfect knowledge. And they exist in a perfect world where they right. have perfect knowledge but they can't affect change right and so they're trying to communicate with us to help us move things in the right direction no absolutely and actually yeah he has he always puts these diagrams on facebook and stuff like that too i enjoy his ancient civilization posts but there's um there's this one where it's kind of shows us like counterbalance that we keep reaching this point where we meet kind of in the middle and we're close to we're cl the, the non-material and the materials closest it's ever been to each other. But then it, it's the cycle that happens and then it veers yeah, back away hard, from each yeah. other. Yeah. Um, so I find that interesting and that, you know, that's an interesting way to look at it too, because if you do believe in the metaphysical, um, you know, looking for symbology and, and people thinking along those lines back then could yield some sort of answers, you know? The, the first person I talked to, I didn't technically do it on this show. I did it on my music show was okay. uh, Walter Cruttenton. And that was kind of my test run. Like, can I do this? Can I, can I do an intelligent interview about this stuff? Do I know enough or is it, you know, because I wasn't talking to people who knew more than me. I was talking to people who knew less than me generally, you know, friends and so forth. So I was like, I, I need to test this and make sure I'm not going to sound like an idiot, that I actually <laughs> know the stuff I think I know. And Walter agreed to come on. So I just did it on the music show. We did like an hour and a half with music interspersed. And Walter's book, uh, The Lost Star of Myth and Time, is excellent. And it talks about how we may exist in a binary star system. Mm. And that that star may be far out there. It may be a brown dwarf. He he leans toward it being serious. Mm. And this would explain the procession of the equinoxes. There's a lot of data that lines up very neatly, if that's the case. Uh, but he also suggests that as that celestial influence moves closer to us, as Sirius comes closer to us, it changes our consciousness. Mm. And it allows us access to things we're not normally accessing like now. I mean, because now we're just starting to move toward it. So we're just coming out of the dark ages. And you see this this idea of a cyclic culture, you know, a cyclic uh, golden age to dark age type of thing in a lot of different cultures. Yeah. Um, one of the things Robert Schock found is that in researching psi, people got better results in laboratories doing psi when there was high solar activity. Mm, that's interesting. You know, and, and the way he put it is if these people are faking it, it would take a conspiracy spanning a century to only get really good results while there's high solar activity. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, back to what you're saying, too, don't they know for sure that there's something pulling on? I believe it's Uranus and Neptune's orbit, like some massive oh, yeah. body that they yep. haven't detected yet, but they know it's there. Yep, yep. And so, like, if if by Sirius moving closer to us, we become more spiritual or have more access to things like Psy, this may also help explain some of these large structures that were built at a time when maybe we had access to different abilities than we do now, or we could perceive the universe in a completely different way than we do now. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I love that stuff. That's yeah. Sweet. Do you think? Um, do you think that uh, the whole consciousness thing? Do you think that like planets and the you know stars? Do you think that 
you know, celestial bodies are conscious? Because I know that's been a growing thing. I've seen more and more people, even some academics talking about how, um, you know, these bodies are, there's possibly some level of consciousness. And then you've got like Rupert Sheldrick's morphic resonance theory mm-hmm. that, you know, some inanimate objects or non-biological objects have some sort of um, consciousness or memory. Yeah, I, I, I think there's, I think consciousness is like kind of the the root of the of our existence. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a consciousness there. It's not like ours at all. Right. It's something we would recognize compared to ours, but I think there is some level of consciousness there in, in everything. I mean, you think about it. I mean, we we all exist in different levels of consciousness at all times. Um, you know, our cells may have very rudimentary forms of consciousness that, that move them forward to do what they're supposed to do. And then, you know, it builds into us, but then when we get in groups, we can almost have group consciousnesses, you know, if we're all, all focused on the same thing, like in a crowd or something, Mm -hmm. um, I think consciousness exists on a lot of different levels. And I think even internally to us, we have multiple levels of consciousness that, you know, we can zip, you know, we can move between and focus on at different times in our existence. Well said. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's weird to think about. I mean, I've been trying to think about sleep too in that way. Like is sleep, I don't think, I don't think, I don't think sleep's separate from our day-to-day con. I'm sorry. I think it is separate. And and in the sense that I think sleep's just a different form of consciousness, you know? Uh, and that I've been getting into that more and more too, that line of thinking, because we all think that sleeping's just what our, our brain, I mean, the academic says it's just our brain solving problems while our body's functioning on like a low level kind of a thing. So it's in like, um, you know, what's it called? Like, uh, uh, in standby mode or something like right, that. Right. But they don't know. That's the thing. Yeah, they have they no don't idea. know. They're basing they, that on their beliefs. Right. They claim to know, but they don't know. <laughs> um, I mean, I've had tons of precognitive dreams. So, I mean, stuff that's completely undeniably precognitive, sometimes years in advance. How is that my brain working out problems, you know? Do you if meditate? Was, I do meditate sometimes. Not as much as I used to, just for lack of time. Mm-hmm. But uh, I also think that, you know, our, our dream worlds are much more real than we realize. Mm. There may be there, there, there may be out of body experiences involved. There may be literally connections to other worlds that we just don't remember when we're here. We're thinking on a completely different uh, level of consciousness, which is why so many people don't remember their dreams, or even those of us who do only remember bits of them. Well, that's what they say. A lot of people with those out of body experiences, they all say that it's it's realer than real when they're in that yeah. realm. Yes, yeah, yep. near death. That's the one thing. Like near death and DMT, I found. I don't think they're the same thing we were talking about earlier, but I do think that's something you hear both of the people that have experienced those say, and I've actually talked to people that have experienced both near death experiences and have smoked DMT or had done ayahuasca where they say the real, the, even though they're different experiences, the feeling is more real than real, you know? Yeah. yeah. Like we're in the illusion here. Right. Mm-hmm. This is the dream, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're living the dream, that's for sure. (laughs) It's it's a very persistent dream. Yeah. Do you think, what do you think about um, uh, like sleep paralysis? And so, because I think that when people, you were talking about abductions earlier, I think when people feel like they're being abducted or something like that, I think it, a lot of it, I've, I've only had it one time and I was, it was, I was about to fall asleep during a nap 
So I was kind of more conscious than somebody that was maybe about to fall asleep. And it was this feeling that somebody's pulling me back into the chair and this white light floods over me. I have no control over what's going on. Um, I was tired too. That was the other thing. I had not slept the night before really at all. Um, And uh, I could see where if more of the dream element was you know, introduced into my experience that I had, I could see somebody believing that they were either being abducted by aliens or what's it called like old hag syndrome or, uh, you know, something like that. And I, and I think again, that's an altered state, um, where you're conscious, even though your body's asleep and, uh, it can create all kinds of stuff. I've had so much sleep paralysis in my life. It's ridiculous. And, uh, it's one of the few things that creeps me out when I'm in a sleep paralysis state. Like mm. normally the stuff doesn't, you know, the weird stuff doesn't bother me at all. I'll, I'll go toward it rather than away from it. It's like, what's that weird noise? Let's go find out, you know? Right. Right. When I'm in a sleep paralysis is when I can get freaked out by stuff. Um, and like there was, and there have been times where I'm like trapped in a loop where I'll like think I'm awake and then realize that things aren't right. And I'll be like, I'm still asleep. <laughs> Then I'll wake up and be like, okay. And like, at one point, like every time I looked at the clock, instead of numbers, there were symbols. And I went, I'm still asleep. Damn it. You know? Right. No, I mean, kept trying to wake up and I kept cycling through the same thing. And I'm like, all right, I got to like move my body or something to break out of this. You should have our uh, buddy on your show, Lee Adams. He, uh, he runs this webpage called tail eaters. He also started a social media platform called DMT world. That's specifically devoted to, psychedelics but he's all about out-of-body stuff and he's had a lot of -of out-of-body experiences he's had really bad sleep paralysis where he talks about the way he got over it was you know and he's into young and psychology and all that stuff too but he his he got he i think he got rid of his sleep paralysis by going at this entity it was like some shadowy dark entity and he swallowed the entity and once he swallowed the entity um he was no longer fearful. And I think that he doesn't really um, have those issues anymore, but I thought I found that interesting because he's, he's a pretty, um, you know, pretty open-minded person, but he's still kind of skeptical. You know, he doesn't really just believe in nonsense. My, my co-host Ren has almost an identical situation where he was out of body and there was something there bothering him uh, or attacking him or something. And he like changed himself into a werewolf and <laughs> ate thing. Oh, that's, yeah, I mean that, and and I guess he said something about Young's work, where Young, you know, Carl Young talks about something along those lines, where it's like you have to confront that part of it, you know, or, um, you know, to deal with that aspect of your subconscious or something along those lines. And and the thing with all the paranormal stuff is that we don't know what we are. Uh, mm-hmm. like, like I said, we don't know what reality is. We don't know what we are. We don't know what we're capable of. So like one of the things I track through all this stuff, almost every type of phenomena involves poltergeists. Now, you know, the, the, there are some people who say, well, that's a ghost, but I don't necessarily think, I think ghosts might be able to use that energy or spirits might be able to use that energy, but basically that energy comes from us. Poltergeist energy originates with us. So we may be creating a lot of these phenomena around us, Uh, Different people creating different things because they're in different uh, places. Like if you're in a house, it's a ghost. If you're out in the woods, it's a Bigfoot, but it's still poltergeist, you know, activity coming from us. Mm -hmm. And some people will get upset with that and they'll say, so you're saying none of this stuff is real. And it's like, no, I'm saying we're way more powerful than we have any concept of. Sure. 
You know, if we can manipulate reality like that, if we learn to control it, that would be incredible. And again, maybe this is something the ancients could do. Maybe they could manipulate things like Psy and move large blocks easily. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's that one I don't know. I don't, I'll admit, we mean, we have never really done. We did one episode on the Mothman because in high school we saw the Mothman prophecies and then I ended up reading the book. Um, and there's something about that story that Kev or Maurice and I, we, we went to see it. We got all high before and we went to go see it and we were almost like scared shitless afterwards. Like what the fuck is going on with this thing? You know, it, it touched so, us. We can, that's to say the least. So we did an episode trying to figure out what it might've been. And there's a lot of, at the time they were doing MK ultra stuff in that area. So we theorized maybe these people were being dosed, you know, or something but along those you but know. you're still getting poltergeist activity, UFO activity, right, right, right. Uh, cryptids. You're seeing just a host of different things all mixed together in that one area. So I mean, yeah, I mean that might might have been part of it. It could have been. It could also be that in certain areas, the the Earth puts out certain energy fields that affect us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, or or cosmic influences come in. I mean, why is some place like Skinwalker Ranch so active? Right. And, and it might be because there's something in the ground or something about the planet right there that affects us. So do you, you think know? that there's something, I know there's a documentary, um, uh, who is it? Jeremy Corbell. We've actually, we did, we, we did a review of the, uh, Bob Lazar documentary, but I don't think that I've seen, I, I know I haven't seen, uh, any of the skinwalker one. Have you seen anything like what? Yeah. What's, we did it. We did a roundtable on it, and it was pretty much around. All of us were very disappointed with it. Okay, uh, the book is fantastic. Okay. Uh, George Knapp and I forget the other author. I mean, they did an incredible job documenting this stuff, and the 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 documentary. If you know nothing about it, the documentary is probably fine. Okay. But after all these years, it's like okay, we're going to get some new information about the you know Skinwalker Ranch, and it's like oh no. <laughs> We're going to get a lot of the same stories, sometimes told third hand by people on camera. And it's just kind of like this. I just feel like I wasted my time on this, you know? Right. I know people felt that way about the Bob Lazar. I thought, I thought if you watched the Joe Rogan Bob Lazar interview and you also watched the documentary, I think it's a nice tandem because you can kind of get the full picture. Um, you know, I don't need to hear, uh, Mickey Rourke mumble in the background. Like that was the one <laughs> thing right. about uh what are they hiding up there you know like that kind of stuff but um but yeah i mean so like the the ghost thing to me the ghost and paranormal thing in that sense i don't know too much about we you know maybe we'll do stuff on the future about it i just see stuff on like the travel channel and it just looks yeah, yeah. i don't know well, and, and maybe all hyped up and sensational. when i listen to your show that's the most realistic take i usually hear on it you know what i'm saying because you're still being skeptical but you're still talking about crazy shit um when i watch it on tv there's like what was that over there it's like you're in the dark you're in you know you're in an abandoned building that's falling apart of course you're gonna hear shit that's you know well and and the thing like with ghosts you know i mean a lot of these these ghost hunting shows are searching for evidence but even if you get something really genuine on film or recorded or what it still doesn't tell us what we're dealing with right so like an EVP. Okay. So I've heard some really good EVPs and I've, I've known personally ghost hunters who have gotten incredible EVPs and I sit there and I go, okay, so is this EVP picking something up from the environment? Is there a spirit responsible or are we somehow projecting onto these recorders mm. again from ourselves? Because we're, you know, 
and because it, it seems like the, the people who get EVPs get more and more as they keep doing it. And it's almost like that seems like it's us developing this unconscious skill right. to project sound onto a recorder. No, that's an interesting yeah, way to think about it. I never really thought about that because, you know, our mind is a powerful, powerful tool. And as I mentioned before, the you can scare yourself into anything. You can make yourself yeah. think anything, you know. And um, I know, well, Maurice is a professional photographer. I know he's caught some interesting orbs and artifacts on some of his pictures. But again, like, what what is that? Is, you know. Yeah, it's not proof of ghosts. You you can prove, you know, you can you can suggest there's something anomalous going on but you mm -hmm. can't prove what that anomalous thing is you know a photograph isn't enough you could get a great photo of a ufo but it doesn't prove what it is who where it came from who built it or anything else right, Just right. That you got a good picture of a ufo i mean there are some really convincing pictures of ufos out there um jeff ritzman uh is one of the people who will analyze these photos and he's very skeptical of most of them and there's been a couple where he's like this one's not fake He's like, and here's why, and he'll show, show you the different things. He goes, I don't know what it is. You know, it's a, it's a craft of some sort, but it doesn't tell us anything other than this is a real photograph. I have a weird story about that. So hang around after we go off air, and I'll tell you about it. I don't want to talk about it on here. Right. Some, some weird shit happened, but, and I don't want to push Scare the Scare our audience. But, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, but the last thing I want to touch on before yeah. we uh, cut out of here is is um, magic. And you talk a lot about magic and the occult stuff and tarot card readings and all that. Um, I never, that's, an, again, something that I think can be interpreted different ways. I read the book. I, I think the best book I've read in the last couple of years besides like the ancient history, Graham Hancock kind of stuff is, uh, Real Magic by uh, Dean Radin and the research that he uh, does. I, for some reason, that book just, just you know, the philosophy stories he has in there and all the ancient stuff. I, I just, I love that book a lot. But um, my theory on magic is that, you know, my dad would always say this thing. If you write it down on paper, uh, your daily, you know, list of things to do, you're more likely to do it. It like binds you to that thing. And if you look at like what a modern day written law is or, a code or something like that, it has an attachment to it. So if I get a restraining order, you can't come near me. It's just a written piece of paper. You know, most people abide by it though. You know, so like that's my theory on what kind of magic is, is our understanding of language and communication um, and, and that kind of stuff. But I know uh, you probably have a little bit of a different take. So what's your, what's your take on the subject? I, I, I like the way Crowley would phrase it that, magic is affecting your environment so really really low magic is reaching over and picking up a can because mm -hmm. you're affecting your environment and as you as you go up the scale you get to the point where you're using you know mental facilities to cause things to happen on a larger scale and this ties into the exact stuff that i was saying like with poltergeist phenomena and stuff like that except we're actively trying to control it so basically we're, we're exhibiting psi abilities we're trying to influence the world around us. We're trying to control our own minds to create certain realities, but we don't quite have it down yet. Magic's one of those things that sort of works if you do it right. It doesn't work for everyone, doesn't work every time because we don't totally understand what it is. Mm -hmm. But I think the general idea is the same as a lot of this other stuff where we, we are way more powerful than we realize. Um, 
And I don't think it necessarily relies on other entities, other intelligences. They may be out there, you know, but there's no way to know what we're creating with our mind and what is coming from the outside. There's no easy way to tell because really it's indiscernible. So mm -hmm. if we believe we're contacting this spirit, how do we know we're not creating that spirit on an unconscious level? Um, anytime That's an interesting we, way to look at it, yeah. And anytime we manipulate reality, um, you know, you you can get fairly good at it, but we still don't understand exactly what's going on. It still doesn't tell us what reality is. Um, anyone who's worked with magic successfully will have absolutely no doubt that it works because it, it goes way beyond coincidence, but it still doesn't tell us how we're actually doing it other than focusing our subconscious mind on something. And that, that was actually that another, that was the thing that really won me over on the Seth material. Um, Crowley would always say, beware lust for result," And so that meant that if you did a, a magical ritual, you were, you were supposed to forget about it. So you do it, you forget it, you move on, and then you'll, you should see the effects of it. But if you keep it in your mind, it won't, it won't happen. And I thought that was weird because going into it, I thought, well, wouldn't it, wouldn't you want to focus on the thing you want to happen? Like, wouldn't more focus make it happen? Um, and that it confused me. I was like, I don't understand why that's the case. And in reading the Seth material, Seth talks about the way we create reality. And he says, it's not our conscious minds, but our unconscious minds, which works in symbols. And he wasn't specifically talking about magic, but it suddenly occurred to me that he just described why lust for result is a problem. As long as that stuff is in your conscious mind, it doesn't get to your subconscious. Mm. The reason you use symbols and stuff in magic is because that's the language of the unconscious. So if you do it and then forget about it and let it drop down to your unconscious, that's your best chance of your unconscious then manifesting what you wanted to happen. I mean, I absolutely believe that, especially from like, um, you know, like I mentioned earlier, I have OCD. So my fears and anxieties, when I constantly think about them, present themselves more often. It's almost like the law of attraction, but in a negative yeah. way. Yeah, um, yeah. And when I'm more calm and I'm more, um, you know, vigilant of that situation is usually when I can control that, you know? So um, I can identify with what you just said totally. Um, and I agree to a certain extent. And I think that our subconscious mind is so much more powerful than we um, give credit to. We talk about consciousness all the time, but what about the subconscious, you know? And I think that even if we were to figure out what consciousness is, let's say from a scientific or analytic standpoint, it still doesn't answer how the subconscious would affect our day-to-day -day consciousness, you know, or the history or whatever. So I think that that's definitely something that needs to be researched more for sure. It's, it's it's like consciousness is this little boat sitting on a vast ocean of the subconscious. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's a great analogy. And that great ocean can move things. You know, the, the little boat can't move things that easily, but that, that big ocean can definitely affect things. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the boat's just the observer. It's not really pulling any strings. Right, right. I mean, it can lift that can off the counter, but that's that's, you know. Right. Yeah. It's it's kind of limited in what it can actually do as as far as the whole goes. And uh, when when you look at uh, paranormal stuff in general, I, you know, it could be that there's other intelligences out there, but it it almost doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter if it works. It doesn't matter whether you're interacting with something else or some deeper part of yourself. Right. Uh, 
And it also seems to respond, like you were just saying with the negativity, you know, a lot of people have frightening encounters with the paranormal, but if you don't approach it from fear, it doesn't give you those frightening encounters, mm -hmm. you know? So it's almost like it's responding to you. So at least some part of it, whether it be external to us or not, some part of it is being affected by how we perceive it. Mm -hmm. Do you think, um, what's your biggest takeaway from doing this show? Like what, what, what's one truth that you feel like you can hang your hat on from doing your show that maybe you didn't believe in before, or maybe there's a lot more to it than you previously thought or something along those lines. Hmm. That's a really good question. Um, I think I've, I'm more open to, to how generalized some of this stuff is, you know? Um, but I think we're I think we're asking the wrong questions. I think we're looking at it wrong. We're making we're making too many assumptions, uh, and we need to step back and take a better look at this stuff, um, especially with like the paranormal stuff. Because mm -hmm. you know, UFO people think the ghost people are crazy, and the ghost people think the Bigfoot people are crazy, mm -hmm. and vice versa. And instead of just going, you know, like like my co-host Timothy Renner will you know research a Bigfoot sighting, and he'll go. So did you see any lights in that area around the same time? And the person will be like, I did, you know, and it's not something that Bigfoot hunters look for. Right. You know, so you ask a Bigfoot hunter, do you get UFO reports or light reports around the time that these happen? And they're like, oh, we don't ask those questions. What if that and was the case? What if Bigfoot's come in here and we just, <laughs> well, but you it, know, it's it, some, some, uh, uh, you know, Neanderthal or Denisovan or even a gigantopithecus thing that evolved on some other planet or some other dimension and shooting well, in I, and out, you know, it, it, and whereas all those things are possible, I suspect what the, the thing is, whatever it is, we're dealing with something that is similar across the board. Right. It may have, it, there may be reasons it appears differently or it may just, you know, a light in a house is, is a ghost, you know, and, uh, a light in the forest must be an, uh, must be a uh, a bigfoot or something or right. an owl or something like that a light in the sky is an alien but they're all lights lights are one of those things you see across the board you know so why is light phenomena something that follows all these odd things especially if if bigfoot's just flesh and blood we shouldn't be seeing light phenomena associated with bigfoot we shouldn't see footprints that end in the middle of fields with no obvious exit um these things appear and disappear like phantoms, but they leave physical impressions. Uh, UFOs do the same thing. A lot of times UFOs just disappear. They mm -hmm. don't fly off into space uh, and they leave physical evidence. But none of the physical evidence is enough to prove the reality of these things. Yeah, I mean, it's it's weird. Like I said, I keep going back to consciousness because, and I talk, I've said this a million times, but like there's no good, there's no real good other than the cockpit videos and maybe a couple photos, most of the stuff you see online, most of the stuff you see on YouTube is complete garbage having to do oh, with yeah. like the UFO stuff. Um, I have a theory that obviously when you operate a camera, it's a lot different. You know, you're collecting photons and stuff like that. Same, same thing we do with our eyes, but our eye it's, it's, the way our brain works isn't just our eyes. It's perception. We're, yeah. we're taking in data. It's being shifted upside down through our optical nerve. It's sent into our brain and being interpreted in the supercomputer that we can't even recreate with the technology that we have. Mm -hmm. So um, this idea that um, I think it's when you talk about UFOs, like you said, Bigfoot, maybe it's the same thing. And I know 
who's a Jack Filet, um, you know, ideas that they're, you know, uh, uh, passport to Magnolia. These different things are all the same thing. They're just putting on different masks. Right. right. In a, you know, maybe if you're studying UFOs, whatever this metaphysical thing will, is more likely to come to you as a UFO. Or if you're studying Bigfoot, maybe exactly. the Bigfoot's more likely to come to you that way. You know, I don't know. But um, I think the weird thing, though, is like we were talking about earlier, DMT, you know, it's not something that you, you know, it is a, um, thing that happens within your brain 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 chemistry but these people have the feeling of more real than real and they're also talking to entities it's not like you can't bring it back in the sense that if you saw an alien in the woods somebody else saw it too you have that shared actual visual perception of this thing it's this thing where you go to this alternate reality um, and experience this amazing thing and there's no way out of it it's not something that you're controlling it's out of your control um so I think that that's an interesting way to look at, you know, the, when people see stuff in every in day-to-day consciousness, you're probably seeing like a portion or a fragment of what's actually there because you just can't perceive that thing. But when you go into these other, well, it's near-death experience or the DMT realm or whatever it is, you have almost full access to this other world and no access to the other world, you know? Yeah. Well, and... You know, it's not just that our brain interprets the stuff we see, but it actually actively filters out 95% of it. Right. If this data is not important, you don't need to see this. So we don't even know it's there. Which can also be why some people will have an experience, you know, see something while someone standing right next to them sees nothing. Because one person's brain goes, that's important. The other person goes, I don't see that. Right. It's a good point. our, our perceptions are so limited. We have most people have very little conception just how limited our perceptions are and how much stuff that we literally is beyond the realm of our senses to pick up. Yeah. You know, how crazy. much more reality is out there that we haven't even detected yet with machines. Well, well the universe, I mean, what yeah. 95% of the universe is made up of dark matter and dark energy. We don't know what it is, you know. See, see the smartest even, people. I, I think that's wrong. I think that if we if there was dark matter and dark energy, we would have found it by now. And when you and when you listen to physics to the physicists actually researching this stuff, a lot of them have given up. They're like, it's it's not a thing. Well, it's, it's everything's at a standstill right now between quantum physics and the theory of relativity. There's no yeah. there's no bridge or cohesion there. The yeah, well that that's it. And I think the dark matter thing is going to fail eventually. It. There's literally no evidence for it other than theoretical. Like they think it should exist, but they can't find it. So, well, Vera uh, Rubin's the one that discovered it, and it's the stuff that propels spiral galaxies. Like it's the darkness in between the arms that you see in right. the spiral galaxy. But what is it? You know, yeah. I don't know. Um, and the again, the electric universe theory actually can explain that and replicate it in a lab. Right. And that so, would probably, you know, Tesla, all the stuff he was doing, obviously it was all elect- electricity based, you know, and, um, and I, I think electric, electrical stuff plays a big part. Like the things that, that I've come to at this point, the, the three commonalities you find in weird experiences are electricity, light and poltergeist phenomena mm. and light could be associated with electrical phenomena as well. And mm-hmm. as well, poltergeist stuff might be connected to electrical impulses. So, you know, electricity may be the key to a lot of stuff that we simply don't understand. Um, but if you look into the electric universe theory, they have 
very sufficiently explained a lot of stuff that's still a mystery to cosmology and and astro you know astrophysics and stuff mm-hmm. but it gets marginalized it's not accepted and it's not accepted because it's failed it's not accepted because it doesn't fit the current paradigm oh absolutely i mean I, i've looked into it a little bit uh i got to do more research on it and obviously i know all the stuff with you know robert shock and the solar induced um, right right dark age and all that stuff's based on that kind of thinking but uh i gotta look into that more too because i know that they're like you're saying i've seen stuff on it. i'm like that makes a lot of sense i just haven't really delved deep into it yet but um yeah man weird stuff you know you, you're, you're the, the yeah the, the title for your show is perfect where did the road go because it's you know it's well, where are we going why are we here you know like those are the um the greatest and, questions and, and and paving new paths yeah yeah by asking better questions yeah i think you do that and i think that uh on your show you do a good job too you like you've evolved you know if you watch some of your older uh episodes or listen to your older episodes the ones more modern times i mean your views evolve too so it's not like you're um you're you're going down the same road you know you're you're like you just said you're creating new paths for yourself new thinking new ideas you do ask good questions um and I think that's why, you know, yeah, I think you should, I think your numbers don't reflect how good your show is in terms of what you're talking about and the way that you approach it. I think that, um, I mean, I don't know what your, the podcast numbers are, but I know that your YouTube numbers should definitely be a lot higher compared to some shit that I see on there that's getting millions of views, but. Uh, right. That's the sensationalized nonsense, you know, right. they people in with false claims and then they, you know, sensationalize it all up. Look at this. We have aliens and right. it, well, it's it, clickbait, you know, yeah, it's clickbait and it fits what people already believe. Whereas we're presenting something that's sort of an alternative to that. Like, let, let's think a little deeper about this. Let's not accept the assumptions and let's find people who are, who are coming up with new ideas on it. Do you yeah. ever, do you ever go down rabbit hole? Like for me, Oh yeah. The easiest way for me to debunk something is to go down the rabbit hole. Cause eventually I'm going to watch all the videos, even the debunked ones, and I'm going to start looking stuff up and I'm going to, and then I develop my own opinion. I don't think enough people do that. And I think that you get the surface skepticism, if you will, your Michael Shermer's and, and actually the one episode he did on Joe Rogan with, um, uh, Graham Hancock and Randall Carlson, it was very evident. He didn't do his homework and he got pantsed like on, in front of millions of people. Oh yeah, so, yeah. So I think you need to go whether you believe in the stuff or not. The mo- you know, it's if you're going to talk about one of these subjects, you absolutely need to go down that rabbit hole because you got to have all that information. Well, we had I had read an article uh, just recently from the Skeptical Inquirer, and they were talking about psi research, and a few paragraphs in, the, the guy literally says, "Well, you know." Some of this evidence looks pretty good, but we know Psy doesn't exist. So we're not even going to look at the evidence to make it, you know, to, to form our opinions because we know this stuff is not real. And so there's absolutely no reason to give it any time or to really look deep, look deeper into this evidence. And that's that. And I'm just kind of like, really? Like you're not even hiding this fact now. Right. It's belief based. It's not, it has nothing to do with evidence. And I think part of the problem is that the scientific evidence for psi is now so strong that they can't look at it and then say it doesn't, it's not real. Like it's, it's impossible. They've gotten to the point where even some of them have admitted that the evidence is pretty overwhelming, but they're still not going to accept it. 
Well, what's the, uh, I know in Real Magic, Dean Radin goes over all like the statistics and the numbers. Is it, I think it was Rupert Sheldrick's experiment with, um, is somebody looking at you? You know, like, can you tell yeah. if somebody's looking at you? And I think it was like 54%, you know, people could tell, you know, well, right. even though it's 4%, that's actually kind of a lot, you know, if it's a 50-50 proposition, but it's more than 50-50. And I, I don't even think it's a 50-50 proposition. I think it's less than that. Right. Because you wouldn't normally think someone's looking at you. Right. Yeah, it's that weird. And that's that goes back to the the running up the stairs in the dark. We'll pull it full circle with this thing. <laughs> you know, is the you know, if you if if intuition's real, which we know intuition's real, even most scientists, you know, will yeah. concede to that, then what is our intuition telling us that there's something there, you know? Or or again, it's a race memory of, you know, dark is bad. Yeah epigenetics of uh, being hunted by saber-toothed tigers in the dark and shit you know but uh all right well thank you for coming on Sarai. this was awesome we'll have to have you back on in the future because sure. I, there's a million other things we could have talked about too so <laughs> that is yeah. true that was nice that was a very good uh dose do you want, of reality i think do you want to plug anything um you can go to um well you can go to uh, Soraya's website at where did the road Yep. We mentioned at the beginning, he's got the radio show. You said it's from 10.30 to 11.30 now? Yeah, it's 10.30 to, 10, no, 10 to 11.30. Okay, 10 to 11.30. That's the first time it airs. Patrons actually get it before that unless it's live. Um, and then it becomes a podcast after that. And sometimes we do a couple or even three shows a week. Uh, only one of them airs on the radio. Okay. Uh, and I also do a music show that I've been doing 25 years now that airs after that from like 11.30 to 6 a.m. every Saturday. Oh, shit. So you're yeah, night- going on yeah. over there. Yeah, you're a real night owl, huh? Yes, very much so. Yeah, me too. I'm an insomniac, unfortunately, but uh Yeah, me too. Do you have any um uh cool upcoming guests you want to plug that are coming on soon or just uh, leave it up to uh the imagination? Yeah, I mean we we're doing uh I just put up the first of a multi-part episode I'm doing with the Snake Brothers where we kind of take a deep dive into the missing 411 data. Yeah, those guys are, I, I listen to their podcast. I like their ancient civilization stuff a lot. They do a good job. Yeah, yeah. and they had done a, enough research on the missing 411 stuff that I was like, okay, you guys are perfect because I've been wanting to do this for a while because the missing 411 stuff is great. It's it's really interesting, but I think David's wrong about certain things. So we're kind of like trying to discern like, okay, what's really anomalous here and what can be explained through more conventional means. I don't know a ton about it, but I know that's about like missing people that just disappear, yeah. right? Yeah, and uh, he presents. So I mean, he's some of his facts are just wrong. Is all it is. Gotcha. And so we're trying. We're trying to kind of, you know, look deeper into those, get the evidence of where he's wrong, where he's right, what's really weird, what's not. Because if you're looking for patterns, you want to get rid of as much of the noise as possible. Absolutely. Well, like the whole show we've been talking about is what's real, what's not. You got to look at, you got to fine tune the research and the details and really get to the bottom of it. And if you're just trying to sell a book or a movie, eventually it'll become, you know, evident or. Yeah. Well, that's true. That is very true. So, yeah. And hopefully, hopefully I'm going to, I am going to shoot Graham Hancock an email. Maybe I'll yeah. be enough to get him on the show, which would be the, th- the third of the three people I initially wanted. Yeah. No, well, I, I'm, we'll be looking for that. We'll be blasting into our subconscious for you. (laughs) (laughs) 
that, yeah, we're that, se- we're sending out rays now, so don't worry about it. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like I said, he he was he'd be the last of the triarchy. I I have not approached him the entire time I did the show. Uh, I was on that that show with John Anthony West doing the telethon to raise money for his cancer treatments and mm-hmm. his, his you know medical expenses, and I got to talk to him for a few minutes and. He seemed game, but he's also a really nice guy. So we'll we'll see if he actually is is able to do it or not. No, for sure. And nice. uh, also, we're gonna add the links to your website and YouTube channel. You. Subscribe to his YouTube channel. Let's get those numbers up. This guy, this guy's been doing it for a while. He's he's one of the best at it, folks. So thank you very much. Um, all right, where did the road go with Soraya? Thanks for coming on, man. And uh, check us out at uh, Mike and Maurice Mindescape and uh patreon.com slash mike and maurice and this is our last show in this format so we'll catch you guys in about a week peace